We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Now, I'm joined on the line by Green Party Councillor Maria Dollard. Maria, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, Paul. Delighted to be here. That's good, that's good. Um, Marie, apart from being um, a Green Party councillor, you also work um, with uh, people with aut- autism. And how challenging is this time for people people with autism? Um, I suppose for, for anybody who's on the spectrum or who knows somebody or is a friend or loved one who's on the spectrum, they will know that one of the best ways to, I suppose, keep the anxiety levels down is to have a routine. Yeah. And I think we're all experiencing what that feels like when your routine is gone and if you could amplify that by 100 you might be somewhere towards the the anxiety levels that are experienced by a great deal of people who are on the spectrum Mm, because I was actually I was listening to an interview um, Mick Clifford from the Irish Examiner did with Adam Harris it's it's really really good it's a podcast and he said that um, the reason why routine is so important is because it gives kind of certainty and predictability because when you are on the spectrum, if there's any kind of change or certain, yeah. certain unpredict, some unpredictability can cause um, yeah. difficulty. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's it's if you if you can put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is in maybe a, a country that they do, they've never been in before. Yeah, right? exactly. You land there and you don't know anything about the people, about the culture, about what you're expected to do, what people expect you to do. You know, and once you establish a routine or recognizable signs and, you know, ways of behaving, you become calmer. But if you're, if you've never, if you don't know the people, you don't speak the language, you don't know what their gestures mean, it's extremely confusing. Exactly. And so the best way to keep that anxiety down is to have routine and predictability. And that helps to cope with the, just the general anxiety of living in a world that can be very, um, unfriendly towards people with autism in, and it's not always that it's meant to be like that but it's just because of the way an autistic brain will process information yeah. they they may hear or smell or feel or see things in a different way and it causes high levels of stress sometimes not always and not in every situation because we have to always remember that every person is unique exactly so what might I, um, bother me in one situation mightn't bother me in another situation because I was was reading a quote by an American academic called Stephen Shore and he says if you've met one person with autism you've met one person with autism like no two people are affected the same by the um, condition exactly that's exactly it and I think there's been an explosion in recent years of um, uh, portrayals of people on the big screen and the little screen um, who are on the spectrum and uh, I teach the the UCC have a course called um, Autism Studies, Diploma in Autism Studies, and I teach the Perceptions and Portrayals module. And somebody said the other day because they were they had been studying every group studies many different portray, portrayals and you know on TV and in the media, and they said we've come to the conclusion that when you've seen one portrayal of autism. You've seen one portrayal exactly, of autism, yeah, yeah. so we can't jump to conclusions when we, you know, people say, "Oh, Rain Man, no, that's not like my son or my brother or me," and you know, and then somebody else says, "Oh, that's just exactly like me or like like my friend or whatever." So it, it, people are different, but what they share is a need for predictability and routine, and a way to be able to. I suppose control the sensory overload that about ninety seven percent of people on the spectrum experience. 
and that's when the, their brain just can't cope with the amount of information that's coming in. And uh, Maria, it was an art- a very good article in the Kilkenny People there last week, your daughter uh, Lucy, who's yes. on the spectrum. How have you managed to create a kind of a, a new routine there? Because I can imagine kind of thing when this whole COVID thing, or everything was, was completely up in the air and then add um, your council work on top of that, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say that like every other person who's either teaching their child at home or supporting their child at home. You you might do it all day for a job, but when you're at home, you're a mammy. That's it. <laughs> and it's the I hardest job really, of them all. Yeah, the hardest job of them all. But I have, like, loads of parents around the country relied on the services that are used to supporting Lucy on a daily basis. And Lucy attends Kings River in Stonyford. Yes, and very, she also very good out there. Larch. Yeah, and in Kings River, what they did fairly quickly was they put together a programme of that involved Zoom meetings. Oh, so since Lucy hasn't been able to meet any of her friends or her um, support workers or key workers face to face, she's been able to engage twice or three times a day in Zoom meetings. So at those Zoom meetings, they will have cookery, they will have cookery demonstrations, they'll have yoga, stretching, meditation, dancing, um, bingo, um <laughs> everything you know you can think of and everybody who is involved in in that whole service and the 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 service users and the the workers they've all participated in showing their skills and they have volunteers as well from other countries one of one of the sessions was origami and bagpipe playing so anything that you can do and you know it i suppose we everybody's trying to make the best of these situations yeah but what Lucy, what i have found with lucy is that these sessions are really important to her it's just to be able to say hello to her friends to yeah. watch them to you know engage with them and that has really been a huge support to us and i'm also lucky that i have um i have one son one son te- uh, works down in um state street but another son is a teacher and my husband's a teacher oh very good but the son who's a teacher has been really good with keeping Lucy focused on some exercise. So two or three times a day, they go into the garden and he'll do his routine and he'll do it with her and she'll join him for that. So, you know, I'm I'm as reliant on other people to support me as everybody else is. So, you know, being able to, I, I would say, and I have said it to some of the lads that I work with, that even if you only say, right, between I get up in the morning and lunchtime, I'll do one thing. And, and specify what that thing is hmm. and do it. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be just walking to the shop or it can be just, you know, anything. Anything you want to do. It could be something to do with, you know, watching something on on YouTube or anything. But to say I'm going to do something that I want to do, whether it's a craft activity or painting or anything you want to do, and say I did that, that's what I did this morning. And then that's a, because. I really feel that, that we all, but particularly people on the spectrum, yeah. we need something concrete to mark time. Exactly, The yeah. days are drifting one into another. You know, people are, you know, myself kind of stopped and thought, what day is today? Now, I'm working from home, which helps me. But I know with my mum, she'd say sometimes, she'd say to me, you wouldn't know what day you have. And I think that's what's happening for people is their routine has gone out the window and the days are drifting into each other. And if you can... Time is a very difficult concept for many people on the spectrum to yeah. really get a grasp of. So if you can mark the days with t- something that you did. So each day if you could say, well, today I made a pizza or whatever it is, 
and that you're you're marking the time and you're being able to say that's what I did this morning, that's what I did this afternoon, and to keep that repetitive nature of whatever you're doing, do it every day, exactly, and or or every week or whatever whatever the person, but the, the timetable or whatever routine you establish has to come from the person, not what you think they should be doing, exactly, yeah. what they would like to do themselves. And I suppose, Marie, would that be the kind of the if you were to have one bit of advice to any parents out there who may have, um, you know, or children who are maybe on the spectrum or people who, who might be supporting friends or family, um, would that be probably your, your key key message? Just try to yes. establish some sort of routine? Yes, some sort of routine. And I know parents are trying to teach their children at home. And, you know, it's difficult to teach any child, but it's extremely difficult to teach a child with special needs. And that's mm. why we have specialist teachers. But if you can have even something that signifies for the child, this is going to be the time that we're going to do 10, 15 minutes of your work, whether it's a tabletop activity or, an acti- you know, some sort of activity to go out in the garden or whatever it is that, that the teacher has suggested or, or you have asked for support around that that's flagged up for the child that you don't just arrive into the room and say right time to do because that that small person might not remember or know that this is the time that they're going to do maybe a task they don't like like a a worksheet or something and they don't want to do it but if you give the person enough warning and enough time and that's when the timetable really comes into its own where the person knows what to expect yeah, exactly. You know, and, and the biggest meltdowns in my house have happened when someone has sprung something on Lucy that she wasn't expecting. I can well you imagine. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Lucy, she uh, represented Ireland the Special Olympics last year and she won a bronze medal, which was, which was great. Uh, it must have been a fantastic experience for, for Lucy and yourselves as a family. Do you know what? I, I have never in my life experienced such a wonderful experience. And I can't, I can't even really adequately describe how fantastic it was and you know I think sometimes people dismiss something like the Special Olympics and they say oh sure look you know that's just for people who are not as good as other people at sport that's not actually it at all when Lucy participated in the um, games in Ireland because mm-hmm. it follows the same pattern there's local, there's regional you know each year, the first year is local, the next year is regional, the next year is all Ireland and then the last year, the fourth year is the World Olympics but when she participated in Dublin, she was in a 100-metre sprint. And what happens is it, it, the athletes are divided according to their ability. So if your fastest time is, you know, maybe 17 seconds, you might be in a group where everybody has run between, let's say, 16 or four, 15 and 17 seconds. So everybody has a good chance of winning the race or coming second or coming third. And some of the athletes, like there was, there was in the men's group, some of the, the fastest race, races were run in about 11 seconds, a 100-metre sprint in 11 seconds. Exactly, that's, now that would, that's that serious. Would, that would, that's serious. And, and there was a young girl from Cork that we, we saw. She was in another division, not Lucy's division. But she ran the 100-metre sprint in under 14 seconds. And again, look, she was a fantastic athlete. Yeah. The difference, the special part about the Special Olympics is the difficulty and the challenge the person has with learning how to be in a competition, mm. learning how to, you know, line up. They have to do all the things everybody has to do. Lucy exactly. was away from, from us for two weeks. She had to learn how to, you know, cope on her own. It took the whole year of preparation for that to happen. Um, so it's, it's a harder... They don't put in less work than anybody else. They put in just as much work. 
Exactly. The difficulty and is that, that they face much bigger challenges in being able to do that. And to represent your country in yeah. any discipline, uh, Maria, yeah. it's 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 a huge honour. And to come back yeah. with a with a winner's yeah. medal, you know, yeah. is yeah. it's it's a fa- yeah. it's a fantastic yeah. achievement, and it's something yeah. that it's there. Lucy Dollar's name will yeah. be there in the yeah. record books forever and a day. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, the, it was really exciting because, like all athletics, there there are when people maybe and um, they're technical, they're quite technical. So if somebody was saying her division, what happened with Lucy? One one of the people who threw the javelin threw it much further than would they would be expected for that division, so they were disqualified. Right. So. Oh, everything, it's really thrilling and it was so funny because um, I was waiting for the, we were all in the area where they give out the medals and we were waiting for the athletes to come out and we didn't think she'd made the bronze and we thought this is pity now, but anyway, it was the first event she was in and we were just delighted to be there and someone texted me from Castle Comer and said, congratulations for Lucy won the bronze and I said, how do you know? I said, I'm standing in the winner's enclosure and I can't, I said, we don't know. They haven't come out yet. <laughs> so they had the news in Kilkenny before we had it in there Dubai. <laughs> there you go. So, but, oh, um, but great, great experience exciting. overall. Oh, fantastic. And people from, I can't hear, was it 180 something countries, countries I never even heard of. And to see everybody with the same common purpose of supporting people who, you know, in the past have just got left behind mm and forgotten about it. it was just fantastic and I would take it she's very determined to go back and defend her title oh well you see the thing about it is there are so many athletes that when they get to the Ireland games you have to win a gold medal to go into the draw to be picked out okay. so the fastest don't always get there so she'll, she'll definitely be working away now as soon as we get back with the training mm. and she'll be working away up to the Ireland games and, and if she's lucky enough to win a, um, a gold medal in one of her events She'll go into the pot like everybody else and they will draw out the names. That's the beauty of the Special mm. Olympics. That everyone has the same chance of getting yeah. there if they put the work in. And, you know, and yeah. And Maria, Lucy was I was reading there, she was diagnosed when she was very, very young. Yes. And um how how have things changed has there been much changes um, in that time as regards attitudes in awareness? Oh. Now, we're going back over 20 years now. Yes, yeah, 20, 25. Sure, she's 26 now. Um, I, would say, I would say probably three different things have really dramatically changed. The first one is awareness. And I did not know a single parent um, who had a child with autism. I hardly knew what autism was. And I remember the old um, Kilkenny Community Radio, yep. uh, Sue Nunn had a programme and there was somebody on talking about uh, a disability allowance or something. Yep. But she mentioned that her son had autism. And I rang the station. I said, could you give the woman that, that woman my number? I just love to talk to another parent. And that was how I started to make contact with other parents. And it was absolutely fantastic to talk to other people who I felt were in the same boat as me. And so the awareness over the years now, sure, everybody nearly knows somebody who's a child or is on the exactly, spectrum. Yeah. And I think what, we, what we're more aware of now is that many of us are on the spectrum. We just didn't know it. That's very, very true. So, yeah. you know, I think it was one in every 65 people is, yeah, is it would be on the spectrum. Yeah, there's one in 65 diagnosed in schools. Right. And you, yeah. can just, uh, you can just assume that that goes through the whole population. So if you were to do that, I think it works at something like 50,000 people in Ireland are on the spectrum. 
and you know as we understand it uh, better you know it isn't difficult to you know figure out that maybe you know you might be on the spectrum that's fine we get through you know and we do the best that we can and um, it often does run in families as well the other thing i'd say that has really dramatically changed is education yeah you know, there there was no special teacher training courses. There was no special, you know, special autism school. Certainly not. Um, when Lucy started school, and she was really lucky to start in school at the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's, and they could, it's a fantastic school, yeah. Fantastic school. And they could see, really, there was a trend in the direction of a lot of children. Like, Lucy started school with, I think they had an intake of six children every year into the school. And the year Lucy started, I think it was two other children in the school who were on the spectrum. One had left, one was in the school. And the year Lucy started, of the six children that started, five were on the spectrum. Right. And the school were thinking, wow, something going on here. And so as as that the time came on, the, the teachers were saying, right, okay, this is different from teaching other children with other kinds of mm. you know, special learning needs. And they got trained and they went for training and they went to um, seminars. And I remember we all went up to Donegal, the Irish Society for Autism ran a weekend seminar every year and about four or five teachers from the school all went up for the weekend to learn about autism and how they can best support their students so you know and it went on from there and over the years you know it, it became more and more and there was more and more training available and I think the other thing that's improved is is um, the services and um, there just wasn't an acknowledgement that autism in, in adult services that autism needed a special approach. It yeah. had been recognised in education but not in adult services and that is now changing as well. But what I would say is that awareness is one thing but acceptance exactly. is a different thing and exactly. that's what we really need to be working towards now is acceptance. And um, Maria, we've had um, Nicholas Ryan Purcell uh, in with us. Uh, he he uh, did a film about it there recently um uh, his own experiences living yeah. with autism. Now, there's probably a question with your uh, county council hat on, and and he's working with a group in Nina to make to make um, Nina more autism friendly. Think a similar project like this could work in Kilkenny. Well, do you know, two years ago, as part of my job in Kite, mm. um, we decided with some other service that we would mark World Autism Day as a way to ra- raise awareness around Kilkenny, and yeah. it was South Tipperary were involved as well around the adult autism service because we felt people didn't realise that there were services for adults and that they were specifically tailored tailored to autism. Um, and when and we worked with Leslie Clear in the Market Cross yeah. and we had a lovely event down there. And I said to Leslie and to John Hurley in the chamber afterwards, um, I said to him, I said, now, I said, this is only the start of it. I said, we have to go for autism being, or for Kelly being an autism-friendly city. Mm. But... That was my day job, and I suppose it doesn't doesn't really allow me to uh, that kind of scope because I don't have the time to pursue those sorts of things. It's not really my job to do that. But I've been just a counsellor since February, but it's definitely my job as a counsellor, so it's definitely something that's on my radar, and I'd absolutely love to pursue it. And post-COVID-19, I suppose every town, city is going to have to kind of look at things differently. And if you're making, if Kilkenny was autism-friendly, that's another string string to exactly. the to the bow, you know? You know, years ago I, I remember running a summer camp and um I did little interviews with the children that were on the camp and I and I asked them what were the best things and they, these were the children who didn't there was a mixture of children with autism and children who didn't have autism. And what I learned from that interview is that many of the 
supports I had put in place for the children on the spectrum, like having a visual timetable, having a set structure every day. Um, the children who didn't have autism said to me, I said, what was the best thing about summer camp? And they went, oh, because we had a timetable every day. We knew what was happening. Mm. And we were, you know, I loved playing shop every day. And what I learned from that was that if you accommodate someone on the spectrum, you do not discommode or disadvantage anybody else. Everybody benefits from it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that's something that might be pushed in the months and years years ahead. Yes. And of course yeah. continuing the diversity uh team Maria this time bi- biodiversity of course yes. um, uh, biodiversity week um yeah. uh, is this this week in Colmunia. Uh how important how big of a challenge is it? Um I sub- well do you know what it, it is a huge challenge and I suppose there there it's a challenge in a personal way for lots of people but it's also a challenge from an industry point of view and from farming and all all that side of it and and i suppose what we're learning and what we need to take on board is the fact that we cannot keep um treating the planet the way we are and expect to support us as a living as living organisms on it Mm. and you know we have to take on board the fact that we have done a lot of damage and part of the ways to undo that damage is to be aware and to be supportive of biodiversity and in in the same way that you know uh, Temple Grandin talking about neurodiversity you know always says the world needs different kinds of minds there's not right minds and wrong minds there's not right plants and wrong plants there's there's we need the biodiversity to support the planet and like everybody can do something there's a fabulous book um that the heritage council and the heritage officer and the county council are sending out free to people and it's called gardening for biodiversity and you know this fabulous idea is that people can do for themselves in their own homes with their children yeah i think that's the kind of thing i think a lot of people are looking for they're looking for kind of practical things that they can do do you know like even if you take your bit of your garden you don't you don't have to have it all manicured like no, like Crow no. Park, you know, you can let a little yeah. bit of a growth, yeah. let the, the, you know, the bees and, and, and the creepy crawlies. Exactly, exactly. And I'm no expert on, 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 on anything, you know, of that nature. I'm not qualified in anything like that. But what I, it was funny last week, just uh, I, I went out into the garden and my husband said to me, he said, well, do you see all these things like cobwebs on the, on the nettles? And because there's nettles at the back of the garden and no, nobody bothers looking at nettles. You just, you know, avoid them. And there's all these like things like cobwebs with black dots on them. And I sort of think they're spiders. And we were looking at them for a while. So anyway, we went up and got out Mr. Google and we found out what we were looking at were the eggs of um, the peacock butterfly, thousands yeah. of them. And, I suppose and some of them had developed into caterpillars and they were all over the leaves. And, they were, and I was so delighted. And that's kind of one thing. Kind of people with lockdown, you know, they they have that little bit more time, yes. and they're going out, they're they're yes. getting out, getting their walks in nature. And there's several studies yeah. out there to prove that uh, yeah. being in, in nature is, is very, very good for your mental health. Yeah. People are kind of seeing things, and you know, if you notice, the sky is a lot bluer and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. even though it's and it's very, very difficult, there are positives as regards from an environmental point of view that we are kind of seeing some of the. Yeah. some of the damage being kind of repaired yeah and I, and I think people are becoming more tuned into nature as well because they have more time in their hands I think we we all are yearning to slow down our lives 
a little bit. Well, a lot of people are. Some people's lives are just going too fast. And, you know, there's, there's great joy in being able to, you know, and, and it's lovely to explore curiosity about things and to look at little plants and say, I wonder what that is. I downloaded an app called Picture This. Now, I don't know if it's the best one or anything, but it's 20 euro for the year. And you point, you take a picture, and it'll tell you what you're looking at. And <laughs> it's mm. great. Bring it out in your pocket and go out for a walk. And you go, I wonder what that is. And you can look it up. And <laughs> But it's lovely to be able to. We have so much at our fingertips now, you know, to look up information. It's just wonderful to be able to, to do that, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, Mar- Mar- Maria, um, we're too long left. Um, the Kilkenny Municipal District uh, voted to introduce a one-way system in the High Street and Rosin Street. Um, that was a, an important thing to do from a social distancing point of view. Yes. Well, this proposal came to us from the ca- from the executive, so it wasn't that any councillor put it forward. However, it was supported by all councillors, and there is a recognition that you know COVID is going to be with us for a while, and we need to get people back out on the streets of Kilkenny and spending their money in the businesses so that Safely. we can support each other and try and get some way back on our feet because some people are really suffering terribly from this, you know, from an economic point of view. And you know, businesses are the ones that put themselves out there and. You know, they're the ones that are, are, you know, putting their money where their mouth is and they're starting businesses and they're trying to keep businesses going and they're paying rent and rates. And those those costs, you know, they don't go away and they're trying to keep their employees. And, you know, there's a huge... So we, we have a duty to get out there and try and support them. And the council then has a duty to make that as safe as possible. But I would be hoping that people might take a little bit to less traffic in Kilkenny City. Mm. and that we might look at maybe pedestrianising some parts of Kilkenny City and that people think about that and what that would mean and how we could use the space, you know, for businesses, um, how we could help them to keep going in this situation that we're in now. So we'll see what happens. It's, um, it would certainly be a Green Party policy to, you know, reduce um, uh, traffic in towns and cities. Yes. And increase cycling and pedestrianisation. So, I asked the the council if they could look at the amount of uh, bike parking spaces because I've always found it difficult. You're trying to find a place to put your bike, you know, and sometimes it's just a, it's beside a lamppost. You don't want exactly, to be doing yeah. that. You, you need a proper place to put your bike, and you don't want it in at the back of some car park where nobody can see it because there are safety security reasons. There is that. indeed, yeah, yeah, and you know, the, so. The the bike systems in Dublin has been hugely successful. So Yes, it has. And you want, if a visitor comes to Kilkenny and they decide they want to hire a bike for the day, you don't want them having to look up maps and having to try. They should be easily able to see where the bike parking spaces are and there should be plenty of them. Absolutely. And Maria, I'll give you the last word on this. Um, what things are you looking forward to doing once all these restrictions are lifted? I'm looking forward to going down to Arthur Drone's Paul Bryan's in Friar Street and having a pint with a few friends. I'd love that. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to meet up very, very, again. It's a very, very simple thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's when we, we can do it, it's, go, it's going to mean a lot. And I suppose yeah, that's one thing that will come from this. I think people will appreciate the, the small yeah, things a lot more. They will. And Rhines is such a joyous place. There's always music down there. I mean, Arthur goes out of his way to pay bands to come in every single weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, like, we need to support people like that. They're they're supporting other families who are getting a few exactly. bob out of it as well. And, you know, it's such a great place to go and everybody's always welcome. There's, you know, 
all kinds of diversity down there. Exactly, yeah. And on that note, we'll we'll say we'll say goodbye, Marie. It was an absolute pleasure. And as they say, as we always say on communities in action, the door will always be open. And sure, I uh, hope you have a hope you have a great weekend. That's lovely. And thanks for inviting me onto your show, Paul. You're Thank you very more than much. welcome. God bless. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Green Party Councillor Maria Dollar. We're just going to take a, a break, and after the break, we'll be talking to Saeed Rahmad from the Bangladeshi community. So please stay tuned. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM. Uh, I'm joined on the phone now by uh, Saeed Rahmad from the Bangladeshi community. So, Saeed, you're very welcome. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, good to have you. Thank you. Um, nice to talk to you. No problem. Um, Saeed, um, you teamed up with uh, the Royal Spice recently to provide uh, Indian food to frontline workers. That that was a, a big task, but I'm sure you're delighted with how with the results. Yes, we are. Um, it's actually it's not only me or the Royal Spice; it's all the whole community, Bangladeshi community here in Kilkenny. Uh, we're thinking about the health service workers who is fighting COVID-19, sacrificing their own life and health, and uh, saving people's life. We thought we must recognize uh, their best um, work by providing some lunch for them. And the, from the management, uh, the lady named Mary Corcoran, I contacted her and she was really very helpful and the, <clears throat> they appreciated it very highly and we feel good. The, we, uh, they, they appreciated our good gestures mm-hmm. uh, and everybody in our community um, contributed. Uh, every Bangladeshi restaurant in the town, right. particularly a Royal Spice uh, restaurant, Indian restaurant and its owner's Saeed Ahmed gave the whole restaurant to us for the job to be done. Right, and that's... And, that's uh, yeah, and it is very... Uh, it was a very good and highly appreciated by the people. Yeah, and exactly, and the great thing about Indian food or Bangladeshi food, Saeed, it's fresh and it's healthy food um, as well, which you don't normally associate with kind of fast food, takeaway food. Uh, no, not, not especially fast food, and that day actually... And the cooking was very specially cooked, uh, like homemade uh, chicken biryani, which everybody liked. You yeah, know? Oh yeah. And a lot of compliments came from the every staff of the these uh, hospitals. Exactly, as I said. And uh, if a, a, hel- a full happy worker is is a, is a is a good worker, and um, how has the Bangladeshi community cope with COVID nineteen, uh, particularly? Particularly during this is an important time, Saeed, where we're, you're coming towards the end of Ramadan. Right, yes. Uh, our community people all over Ireland are doing well, um, except for a few people uh, who actually affected uh, by the virus, but they are all recovered well. And we are actually maintaining the rules and regulations of uh, uh, social distancing. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, we are actually not uh, going to mosque or any other gathering, and we speak to the people nearly every day all over Ireland, and we are observing Ramadan actually this year quietly at home. 
and uh, as you know, the Bengali cultural festival uh, takes place in Kilkenny. It's a big event for the Bangladeshi people in Ireland. We actually postponed that long ago because of uh, we are very careful about what's happening in the around the world. So the Bangladeshi people are quite um, uh, concerned about the situation and they are actually um, obeying the rules and regulations. Yeah, it's extremely important. And um, a lot of your friends and colleagues in the Bangladeshi, a lot of them will be working on the front line, so so I presume, um, you know, people that have to be uh, extra careful there. Yeah, um, you you are right. There is a lot of Bangladeshi doctors working in all over Ireland, and they are working day and night. And they are actually happy to provide um, happy to provide the service uh, for the people. They, um, I I speak to a <coughs> few of them, and it's not that they are scared or anything. They are really happy to serve the people, which one is very good, and I feel proud of them. Mm-hmm. Just to say, we're we're all putting our our, shoulder, our shoulders to the wheel and yeah. um, Saeed you're also you're in you're not just heavily involved with the Bangladeshi community here in Kilkenny you're also involved with the Twilight Community Group which works with people from all cultures and backgrounds and you have a big project you know it's kind of you've opened your international culture house there in, in Hebron House there just before the outbreak of COVID-19 and I'm sure you had you know great plans um, yes you know, but unfortunately, COVID kind of put an end to it. But um, uh, how's that progressing? Well, the Twilight Community Group is actually working uh, for the International Cultural House uh, because of COVID nineteen. Uh, we can't work physically at the moment, but uh, we are corresponding with um, each other and other officials, including Martin Bannon, uh, by phone or social media. And uh, when the situation will be better, we will actually uh, jump to start uh, to achieve our goal, you know. We and um, start what activi- activities do you envisage happening in, in, in the Intercultural House? I know we had um, uh, your chairman, Martin uh, Marty Brennan, in uh, b- before, but um, just for our listeners who might have mi- missed that, could you give right. us a little no. outline? Yeah. Uh, we actually <coughs> uh, will try, as discussed before, we still are discussing, we have a plan, we'll try to accommodate every community there, including the uh, local Irish community mm-hmm. and Bangladeshi community, African community. We like to accommodate the sports club and group, and uh, we, we want to put there an international library. Which yeah, that, that, that every, sounds fantastic. Yeah, that from every culture, every language, and every, every country, then we can exchange um, our culture and history with each other. Then we, there will be a children's activity, there will be a tea, coffee, and refreshment corner. Uh, <clears throat> there is many indoors games. You know that uh, there's a lot of Bangladeshi indoor games that you might... You may not heard about it. You don't yep. never seen that, you know. Uh, so does the uh, lot of other nation as well. So we want to provide that also there, just to share with e- each other, you know, different, different. And then the national day, everybody has their national day, national event. We like to accommodate there over there to um, share with all these. 
So, so please, uh, so please, God, in in the near future, when next Bangladeshi days, you'll, the, the cultured house will be open, and it'd be great for the Bangladeshi community in Kilkenny have somewhere to come. Yes, to kind yes, of yeah, looking forward to, to do not that, just yeah. celebrate their their national day, but also showcase it to other communities in Kilkenny. Other communities, yes. yes. And I, and I, when I was talking to. Marty Brennan there but before he told us the, this idea has been well received in the European Parliament European Parliament it's a uh, good news for us you know because uh, uh, it will uh, give us a good boost to uh, work and uh, achieve our goal because it's a great news uh, that was talking in the European Parliament which one um, which one would be encouraging for everybody who is working for the International Cultural House. And Saeed, from your own background, um, um, how did you end up here in Kilkenny? Oh, it's a long time ago. I came here in Kilkenny for business purpose, and then I actually fall for Kilkenny. I never moved from there uh, more than 25 years now, you know, uh, because I like Kilkenny, and the people of Kilkenny is a very nice city very nice people and I start working here still now I'm here and I hope I will be here for the rest of my life <laughs> and um, when you came first um, uh, Saeed was there much of a Bangladeshi community here in Kilkenny or was it Not quite really. small no it was uh, only myself and one of my nephew that was and another guy who was a chef and that's all. You have three and four people who are there, and the, uh, we are working together. There's about 14, 15 people from local, the Irish boys and girls. We work together. And after 2000, then yeah. people start to come from Bangladesh and from other countries, these Bangladeshi people, actually. So it's not a long history that uh, many Bangladeshi people are in Ireland. It's, they all... Uh, come after 2000. Yeah, exactly. Probably with um, the um, Irish economy was kind of kind of on the up and, and things yeah. like that. And um, would you go home to visit Bangladesh much? Yes, I, I go nearly every year. You know? yeah. Visit my family and friends. And um, how how's the situation in in Bangladesh itself with um, COVID nineteen? How are they they coping uh, over there? It's nearly 10, 11 weeks since the COVID-19 hit there. And now they are doing not bad, I can tell you that, because it's 160 million people over there. 160 million? 60 million 60 people million, over sorry. Wow. Yeah, yeah, 160 million people there. Yeah. But the affected and the death rate is not that high yet. I okay. don't know about what's happening tomorrow but so far we are um, what we see not like in Europe or America you know and uh, I hope they can cope with that in Bangladesh but just uh, see what's happening you just can't guarantee anything at the moment because the health system is there is not uh, like here you know and, but still they are working hard Absolutely, and we just, we got a text in here, Saeed, actually. Uh, hi, hi, Paul, enjoying the show, well done. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working along Saeed on a number of, of cultural pro intercultural projects, and I have to 
say he is kind, understanding and a patient man, concerned about the welfare of others. We are fortunate uh, that he is an integral part of the Kilkenny community. Regards, Frank Cody. Oh, thanks. Thanks, him. And thank you so much. Yeah, that's 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 fair 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 praise and of course yes. of course Frank Frank is a, is an excellent community activist and good good friend of the program. And Saeed, I I say this to all all my guests. Um, what um things are you looking forward to doing once all these restrictions are lifted? Right. Uh, um, I'm we all are actually waiting for situation to be changed. Locally, uh, nationally, and globally, we all suffered. Um, I think COVID-19 teaches us a very good lesson as it well. Does. Yeah, and no individual, no nation is really superior. You know, that the COVID-19 is the best example Mm. Um, we, we we must learn that from uh, this crisis, and when the pandemic is over, uh, we all should start um, new selfless life and work hard to recover that what we have lost, mainly the economy. Yes, it's going to it's going to be difficult, and of course, in Ireland we're in the process of open of forming a new government their politicians are speaking and hopefully in the next couple of weeks they'll have uh, formed a government and we'll be able to get on with the business of, of getting the country uh, back yeah, back, back yeah. up and running again Saeed yeah, it, was an, it was an absolute pleasure uh, talk, talking to you and as we say to everyone on Communities in Action the door is always open so we, we'd love to have you on again and talk about um, what's happening in the Bangladeshi community here in Kilkenny Thank you so much, Paul, and thanks to everybody who is listening to me. And I hope we'll work together for the for our future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. See you. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye. And that was Saeed uh, Mustafa um, of the Twilight Community Group. And um, we're just going to take another break, and we'll be back after these. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM. Now joined on the phone by Anne Phelan from the local authorities' waters office. Anne, you're very welcome. Uh, good afternoon, Paul, or good evening, I should say. Good evening, it's yes, yes. This evening, isn't it? Exactly, I should. Beautiful, beautiful evening out. Yes, all's, really nice. all's well in sunny Greg and Banner. All is well in sunny Greg and Banner, and thanks again for the absolutely, see, Paul. I think this is your. You're get you're in for the hat trick now, Anne. I think it, in a short space of time. So you're you're doing well. Thanks very much, Paul. And it's just I'm on again, Paul, uh, yeah. because I just want to remind your listeners about the competition that we launched. I suppose <coughs> uh, probably almost three weeks ago now, called Stories from the Waterside, and it's a writing competition. And now, don't let a writing competition put you off. Uh, it's a collaboration with um, my own office, which is the Local Authority Waters Programme, with IFI, which is uh, the Fisheries, and with Waterways uh, Ireland as well. And it's a, a competition to try to get people out there to tell their stories and their memories uh, of how they remembered their river or their lake or their stream or indeed 
their coast as well, Paul. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, or how they spent their holidays down by the river or down by the lake, or <clears throat> perhaps even how they used to just fish, uh, where they went on, on, on day trips, and an awful lot of people years ago used to go on day trips, you know, to the seaside, and we're looking for those um, kind of memories from people, as well as indeed uh, factual um, memories as well, Paul, like, for instance, memories perhaps along the River Nore of where fishermen used to fish and about different um, holes that they used to fish from and about the different um, fishing methods that they used. And also, if people maybe would remember to send us in the story of on the the Barrow of the Nore and the shore, which is called the Three Sisters, Mm. they were three different types of fishing boats and they were called fishing cots. And each river had a different design and the speed of the boat was different as well. And they were all, um, I I don't mean the word peculiar now, but they were all um, home to the Barrow had a cot, the Nore had a particular cot, and the cots on the river shore were particular cots. And, And they were designed and built by local fishermen. And um, we'd love to hear perhaps maybe stories of that, of people that maybe went fishing with their father or their grandfather mm. in, in, in those kind of boats, because that traditional uh, boat building is um, a tradition and a skill that we don't have very much of. Exactly, today. yeah. So all of that, those kind of things, and um, even perhaps if people would tell us about their memories of of the floods. Yeah, there, exactly. Anybody living in... Anybody living in say down by uh, John John Street or the, down by the Keys there would have lots of memories of um, being being flooded before the No Relief Scheme was built. Oh, absolutely, Paul, and they were great ways of being able to see how things have changed over the years as well, and they might be do- you know documentary evidence as well of. You know, are the is are the flooding? Is the flooding happening at a, a much more rapid pace now? Is it happening more frequently? You know, can people remember the standout years of the big floods on the um, on the Three Sister Rivers as well? And also, if people want to do it as well, if, if somebody could, you could interview a member of your family. You could interview. Um, uh, you know, a member of your household, you could um, record them on your phone and let them just tell you the story and you can enter that way uh, as well. And it's just to remind people, Paul, that um, you can look it up on www.lawaters.ie or you can email it to stories at lawaters.ie or by post uh, to stories from the waterside and now here's the little tricky bit Um, it's the local authority waters program and it's the lodge Ballingaran estate Clonmel County Tipperary so I'm hoping to see lots and lots and lots of stories going in from County Kilkenny to see can we beat Tipperary in in the writing competition as well and um what's the interest like so far and there's been many entries are you aware of 
Yes. Across, across the board. There's been upwards of about uh, 200 entries well, so far. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of on target. And I suppose human ma- nature being what it is, uh, we're terrible sometimes for leaving things. Oh, last, last minute, minute. Com, So yeah. as soon as the closing date is drawing, I, I drawing closer, I expect a, a, a spike in um, in in entries, Paul. So it's a lovely competition, and, and it's 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 lovely to read the memories mm. and and the people have of their childhood, how it was spent by the river, and how important and how interwoven that memory of the river is in into the childhood, and indeed in some cases with, with the adulthood. And people speak very fondly of the river that they, you know, they live by. You think of long summer evenings spent by the Nore, long exactly, summer evenings yeah. by the Barrow, walking the towpath, the same on the on the river shore. You know, those lazy days in high summer. And, you know, people can t- tell stories about the mayfly and different fish. And, you know, the... There's any amount of stuff out there that we're looking for. Absolutely, and of course, and um, we had Councillor Maria Dollard on from the Green Party. Um, this week it's Biodiversity Week, so rivers play an, an incredibly important role in biodiversity uh, in in our environment. Rivers play one of the most important roles, Paul, in in our biodiversity because. Sometimes the uh, threats that face biodiversity is that biodiversity gets interrupted. You might have a nice trip and then it's be interrupted by perhaps maybe some development or, you know, something untoward and then it has to begin again further down, whereas the sides of the rivers are the continuous lane or highway, if, if you'd like to call it, for biodiversity and that is why they are so extremely important for biodiversity and I don't know if I said this when I spoke to you last as well the birds like the swallows they navigate by the rivers so you know if we put impediments you know in their way so we need to keep the rivers open and free flowing and that is how the birds navigate as well they navigate by the rivers and Anne, has there been any studies done um, since the outbreak of COVID-19? You know, we're seeing um, uh, some results, you know, like with regards to the air quality has is, is, is improved. Um, the ozone layer is meant to be closing a little bit as well. Has there been any kind of studies on this, on the, how our rivers have been impacted by, say, the lack of kind of certain activities? I, I, I'm, we, we are because our scientists haven't been able to be out, Paul, during COVID-19, um, they weren't out for the duration, so they haven't been able to continue their work during COVID-19, but as the restrictions are now beginning to lessen, it would be um, a very interesting um, study to see if something has changed you know, in the river uh, over that period of time, albeit that it would be a very, very short window because some of these things take, uh, the changes take place very slowly, but over a long and sustained period of time. So, you know, eight weeks in a study like that would be a particular um, short space of time. But I think we don't have to be scientists 
to notice the birds mm. and the, you know, the, the number of bumblebees that are around. We can even see ourselves how clear the skies are. We've, you know, uh, people are posting on Facebook about how clear it is that you can see Mount Everest again. Exactly, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure it'll be, you know, very interesting. And what it has proved to us in, in all of this is, you know, how important nature is to us really in our daily lives because I suppose one thing about the COVID-19 is that I suppose one positive side to it is it it has made us sit up and take a lot of notice of nature Mm. and how important nature is for our health and for our well-being. Absolutely and there's there's countless studies out there. I know um, Mental Health Ireland had done a study in conjunction with um, the University of Limerick Quilch and the Sports Partnership on how um, uh, w- walking in nature can have a huge um, positive impact on, on your mental health and the results were were, were outstanding so you know I suppose with people kind of taking more notice about the environment and things like that you would hope and as time goes on uh, it make your job a little bit easier because one of the biggest aspects of, of your job, I would take it, is just to kind of, you know, hammer home the importance to, p- to people that, you know, rivers, they need to be protected and um, they're important for our for our ecosystem and our, our environment. Absolutely, Paul. And to make people, you know, aware that these kind of resources, water is, is a finite mm. resource, you know, that we need to look after it and we need to keep good water quality and we need to be mindful and not waste. It's a it's a really, really precious resource and only a very, very small amount of water can be used for drinking. Yeah. So it, it really is a precious resource and I know that um, we had a, a good bit of rain last night and I know that, I mean, it's so important for our agriculture and, you know, agriculture is so important for our economy. Massive. So, you know, we, we, uh, my job is actually to create awareness and draw people's attention to good water quality and how important it is in our lives. And what I really want to do is get people, you know, to um, take part in projects that have a positive in- impact on our rivers. Like, for instance, river cleanups, you know, and... KKB, the Kikini, beautiful people yeah, do great work, work inside yeah. on the River Noor with invasive species. And, of course, we now have the project called the the, the, the Noor Vision Project, oh, yes. which is also doing some very, very similar work, you know, to ourselves. And it's kind of watched this space about uh, the Noor Vision. And hopefully we'll all be able to um, get back to having site visits, albeit with, of course, the social distancing and all of the different rules that will abide because of COVID-19. But we still, I suppose, learn, we'll have to learn to get on with our daily lives. Absolutely. And uh, and rivers are also, you're in a, you're from Greg de Manor, where the river plays a massive role as regards from an economic point of view. Um, you know that there's a lot of pleasure boat activities. You have the hope down there, which is which is which is doing great. So, you know, it's not only it's a it's a resource that you know that if managed properly, you know it can have a huge benefit. Oh, absolutely, of course, Paul. It's of of huge benefit. And, you know, but even apart from the economic value of it, Paul, it does a person's soul great 
just mm. to come out and walk along the river and take in, you know, the evening, look at all the wildlife and look at all the flies that are flying around. We have the mayfly this time of the year and to look at the swans and ducks going up and down the river. Uh, 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 the economy is extremely important, but, mm. you know, our health and well-being is very important as well. Exactly. They're, they're, very, they're very, very much um, integrated. And, of course, and lots of people, we, we have loads of stories out there so this competition is a great opportunity for people to you know get them out there whether you're living in John's Quay you know during the floods or you're playing cowboys and Indians in the Fen in New Park or you're swimming and fishing in the dining or the bar or the barrow or as you said before jumping on the sand dunes and in um Greg Madden learning to swim or wild swimming as as it's called now but um you know everybody has a story to tell Everybody has a story to help all, and we just love to hear their story. Absolutely, and it's an absolute pleasure. And as we always say, the door in communities in action is always open. So I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And if anybody wants to, you know, enter that competition, if they go to www.lawaters.ie, they'll get all the information they need there. That's great. Thank you very much, That's Paul. Brilliant. Have a great weekend. You too, Paul. Thank you very much. Bye bye, and that was Anne Feelin from the local authorities, um, water office. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM.